Thank you, Brian Bury, for your rendition of our theme, and welcome to episode 38 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast, where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show, and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt, and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim, and Prue. Hi. Welcome back, Prue. Thank you. Welcome back. Cool. All right. And that, let's get straight into it. <laughs> I don't really have anything other than enter your bar joust competition right now before we do our next episode because you need to get your bar joust favourite quote and fart uh, noise in. How many roads must a man walk down before you can call him a man? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. Oh, Christ. The answer is blowing in the wind. Here's my response, Bowden. Right, I need something from the heart. Something unmistakably barge-ass. Don't break my ass, my bargey-wargey ass. I don't think my pants would understand. But if you... Christ, was that me or the door? Bet this never happens to Reg Lindsay. Howdy, partner. Is that a Najee shirt? Nah, it's a bargey shirt. All right, kids, let it rip. Don't break my ass, my budgie wadgie ass. I think my pants would understand. And if you break my ass, budgie wadgie ass, might blow up and kill this man. Send it to champagnelateshow at gmail.com and uh, you have a chance at winning the Bluey slash Barjars DVD from Crawford's DVD brought to you by mygeekculture.com.au, which is associated with me. So get on top of that. And also, second prize, the Late Show Champagne Edition DVD, as well as a couple of CDs from Lucky Jackson. You may know him as Michael Warren from The Toilet Break. And also, uh, I think we've got an extra little prize. I happen to be at one of those temporary cheap bookshop places that sets up in a um, uh, in a uh, disused uh, building uh, you know, waiting for a permanent tenant in Rundle Mall uh, called Dirt Cheap Books and they happen to have a whole stack of copies of A Nest of Occasionals by yeah. Tony Martin. Yay! So I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure this is out of print at, at least in physical form. If you want a copy, you're going to have to travel to Adelaide, get to 74 <laughs> Rundle Mall before a permanent tenant makes it in there and uh, spend nine ninety nine, or much simpler, you can enter the bar jazz competition. You get a crummy poster as well. Only kidding. <laughs> Not crummy. <laughs> the autographed uh, Joan Kerner poster of Joan yeah. Jett. As, <laughs> see, everyone's now got out their nest of occasionals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I haven't read but, this for years. Yeah. So if you if your if your copy of Anestifications is all dog-eared and uh, uh, got a lot of wear and tear in it, uh, there's a nice pristine copy uh, that'll be uh, sent to you along with the the CDs and DVDs. Oh, here. If I just, uh, yeah, this makes great podcast, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, it's an, it's unboxing. We're unboxing. Unenveloping. Damn express post envelope. Uh, 
Hey, I've got your phone number on here, Daniel. <laughs> well, there you go. If, if and, you get any and, phone and, calls, and, and Daniel. And my address as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Address. Da- Daniel, all of next week you're just going to get, hello, it's John Blackman here from Telecom. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Oh, no. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, there's quite a lot of books at the uh, at the Dirt Cheap uh, Temporary Bookstore. I've got the paper. <laughs> now back to Daniel G and his program guide. Oh, jeez, I'm talking too much this episode already, aren't I? All right, I'll, I'll get through this really quickly. So this is What's Up Against Season 2, Episode 18 from Ross Warnicke's Critical Guide in the Saturday Age. Uh, I'll start with Channel 7, and it's a night of movies, uh, starting off at 6.30 with The Wizard of Oz. Says Warnicke, nothing can be said about this classic family film that has not been said a million times since 1939. Uh, he labels uh, The Wizard of Oz as worth a look for tonight. That's followed at 8.30 by Greece. Says Warnicky, go on, date yourself. Remember going to see this Olivia Newton-John, John Travolta Ode to the 50s 15 years ago? Worse, are you old enough to remember dressing like that? There can be no other reason to watch this slick but uninvolving musical slash romance. <laughs> uninvolving? Hello? No other reason? What an idiot. Come no, that, that's ridiculous. I mean, Greece became a big thing in the 90s again for a reason, and that's because <laughs> yeah. it's involving. Mo- move on, stupid commentary. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you might you, you might prefer Warnicke's uh, commentary on the film that comes up after Greece, which just happens to be Greece 2. There we go. I was about to say, what about now, Greece now, 2? Th- there's a film that you could legitimately criticise a bit because it is not as good as Greece 1. However, it does have its charms. He simply calls it mind-numbing. Uh, <laughs> just like Weekend at Bernie's. not that bad. Like, mind-numbing full stop, end of paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, he just puts in all the like, usual stuff. He, like the, the full thing, he says it's a mind-numbing 1982 sequel with Maxwell Caulfield and Michelle Pfeiffer playing the leads. All right, over on Channel 9 at 6.30, we've got Hey, Hey, It's Saturday, and it's a packed program. Speaking of mind, with... mind-numbing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So we've got Daryl Braithwaite uh, performing The World As It Is. Uh, stand up from Anthony Morgan. Oh, uh, Morgan. Chat- be shocked. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of wondering whether, well, like, I only know Anthony Morgan from Pashing the Mannequin on uh, Good News Week. Yeah, where well, he's making and it. I know of, exactly. I'm sort of wondering how he would sort of tone down from that. It might have been a bit like when Bill Hicks did his stand up set on Hey Hey It's Saturday. Oh, yeah. yeah, it would have been interesting if uh, if anyone's got the clip on YouTube, send it over because I would be interested <laughs> in watching a toned down morgues. So yeah, either that or you know, log into Hey Hey TV, pay pay up your money. Yeah, send, yeah. Send, nah, send you, Daryl's send you getting none of my cash. Daryl <laughs> is getting none of my money. <laughs> Daryl owes me twenty years of my life. <laughs> 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 so uh, apart from uh, stand-up, we've also got champion gumleaf blower Virgil Rutens. You know him, don't you? Oh, yeah. Well, he was on Potluck, yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one that killed Shazam. <laughs> uh, we've also got Rhapsody in Red performing Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. See, you can have a Jackson-related performance that's not controversial. <laughs> or deeply racist. Or an acapella group. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, for Red Faces, we've got judges Gina Riley and John Paul Young. Then Deborah Conway performing Alive and Brilliant, and the Black Sorrows performing Stir It Up. 
And bizarrely, we've also got Channel 9 boss Bruce Gingell, uh, who tells Daryl live in studio that Hey Hey has been renewed for, quote, another 22 years, unquote. <laughs> well, this, this sounds well, like a hostage a situation. Was, was there a gun against this oh, guy's sorry. head? Sorry, I've actually got a perfect sound effect for that. <laughs> well, see, as, as we all know, it turned out to only be another six years, not counting the 2010 revival or the umpteen specials. Um, but, yeah, another 22 years. I think we've found uh, Hey Hey's version of six seasons, six seasons in a movie. Another 22. Can you imagine another 22 years of Hey Hey? <laughs> would, it, would, it, would he still be on air or would he have come off? I'm just trying to do the maths here. Well, he has been on air for uh, 100 years already, according to that last special that was on. Yeah. <laughs> He's no stranger to exaggeration, our Daryl. Um, so after all of that uh, hostage situation at Hey Hey, <laughs> um, we have the movie Gunfight at the OK Corral. Uh, it says Warnicky, more than an OK Western, ha ha, uh, this taut and absorbing 1957 film directed by John Sturgis stars Burt Lancaster as Norman Wyatt Earp and Kirk Douglas as Doc Holliday, taking on the feared Clanton gang at Tombstone's OK Corral. Script by Leon Uris, author of Exodus. And he gives the movie Ooh. pick of the night. Uh, over on Channel 10, we've got the movie Messenger of Death. Warnicky says that it's a gratuitously violent and generally unpleasant 1988 action thriller with Charles Bronson as a Denver news hound probing the massacre of a Moorman family. He misspells it Moorman. I don't know what... Maybe that's some sort of a species of Mormon, maybe. More <laughs> the male <man>. one. <laughs> yeah, more, more men and more women. Probing the massacre of a more man family and the war between two factions of the church. Next up, we've got SBS. Uh, the movie is called Without Pity. Uh, the Green Guide ad says that uh, the prostitutes in love with a US deserter in a post-war Italy. Ross Warnicke uh, explains a bit further that it's a 1948 Italian drama w- uh, about a prostitute, uh, sex worker Warnicke, uh, who falls for a black American GI uh, African-American, not black, come on, who, um, who is fleeing the MPs. Uh, but their plan to stage a hold-up to raise funds for a trip to America goes wrong. Uh, and that leaves us, last of all, with the ABC. Um, our usual lead-in, again, very pertinent with the, uh, the opening sketch, which we'll talk about in a moment, it's Birds of a Feather. Season 3, Episode 2, titled Tinker Taylor. When Charles Fitzroy knocks on the door one evening asking for some water for his radiator, Sharon tells him all about Dorian and her relationships, which he seems interested in. After visiting Chris, uh, Sharon suspects that Charles is a police spy interested in the uh, proceeds of Daryl and Chris's crimes. All of a sudden, two policemen arrive and they ask about the whereabouts of Dorian and Marcus, who need to be questioned about a major fraud case, of which Marcus was the accountant. Sharon tells them that they are in Zurich. When Dorian returns, she finds that a Sunday newspaper has an article on her private life and visits the girls in tears. I've got no idea what the headline is, but I'm sure it would have contained a bit of a dirty cow. (laughs) (laughs) So after that, we've got The Late Show. Now, you know, usually uh, Warnicky has put in satire and sketch comedy from Melbourne's DJ. He's, uh, he's done a major derivation from that uh, in the listing here. And, in fact, it's extremely complimentary. The Late Show, TV's funniest sketch comedy show, homegrown by the DJ. 
homegrown. Wow. It only took him 38 episodes to admit it. Uh, and then after the late show, um, well, as you heard last episode, after the late show, we've got The Devil at Your Heels. Uh, the Listening in the Grand Guide says that it's a documentary looking at the late Ken Carter's obsession with becoming the world's greatest daredevil. Um, after that, at 12.30, the ATVI News with Rosemary Church. And at 1am, you can fall asleep to the video clips of Rage. Um, same as last episode, there's no guest program listed. So, yeah, just Rage. All right, that's uh, quite a mouthful. Let's get into the episode. Thank you very much, Daniel. And now it's time to dissect and slash and murder and destroy, just like <laughs> uh, destroying little girls on the game Night Trap on the Sega uh, Mega CD of Season 2, Episode 18 of the Late Show, broadcast Saturday, October 16, 1993. And straight up... We regret that due to a scheduling error, the last two minutes of the previous program, Birds of Feather, did not go to air. We further regret that we're going to have to play them now. So, yeah, basically they're taking the piss out of Birds of a Feather with um, Jane and Judith playing the... Uh, what's their names? <laughs> For good Sharon. It doesn't matter. Sharon and Tracy. Sharon and Tracy. Sharon and Tracy. For goodness sake. Yeah, uh, yeah. Sorry. All I could think of was Doreen and a dirty cow. Oh. <laughs> dirty cow. <laughs> maybe, maybe the program would have been better if it had just been Doreen and a dirty cow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alas, it, it's Sharon and Tracy. Um, Birds of a Feather, um, when you look back on it, and, and in fact at the time, see, is a bit of a weird lead into the late show because, you know, before they put Birds of a Feather on, we would get appropriate programs to lead it in, like, you know, other sketch shows, British sketch shows, like, you know, yeah. Smith and Jones and Lexi Sale and stuff. And that works because, you know, the, the, the audience is natural. I'm not sure that the natural audience for Birds of a Feather would particularly appreciate the late show and vice versa. Yeah. But, but anyway, but wasn't it, it happened. Yes, but wasn't it down the track, or mainly uh, I think it was when the Working Dog people started doing the panel on Channel 10, they actually had the choice of what was going to be leading into their show afterwards. Yeah, or, right. Before and after, I should say. So they chose to go, all right, let's put a drama show like uh, whatever it was, uh, the upteenth Law and Order or, you know, and then whatever the drama thing was, and then it, it was like, all right, let's uh, break the ice here and put some light-hearted comedy. Yeah, well, yeah, the same, was, same thing happening. Let's wait for it, some it comedy. Not gelled, did it? <laughs> it was like having you know human nature open for the Sex Pistols or something. <laughs> yeah, it, was, what a it really combo. brought you down. It was like a bummer. And if you tried to time it so that you just came in at ten o'clock. This bloody show would overrun by four minutes and it would just like, oh, my God. And it was at this time of the year where most of us had hit 18 where I just couldn't watch it live because of fucking birds of a feather. <laughs> I just it and went out for the night. <laughs> no, I was still, still only 16, so I wasn't going out partying. I remember just sitting there with the VHS like half an hour before I sat through that. I actually forced myself to sit through that whole show because I just didn't want to miss the late show, even though obviously I was just already in my bedroom and there was no way I would, would have missed it, but I still had to be there. Well, that's why everyone's VHS tapes and all that always had the snippet of the, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. of the I do. Yep. I do. I, I think we've used the excess amount maximum of that theme. 
peak yeah. birds of a feather. Yes. Um, well, yeah. one, one thing I like about this little cold, cold open thing is that it sort of pulls back a bit to to show the late show cast watching oh, yeah. the, 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 the parody of Birds of a Feather and essentially yeah. insinuation that people are only watching this because it's British. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, they, they follow that up uh, later with Judith's um, sketch, which mm-hmm. I just, you know, I don't have a lot of time for it, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what but, they... But what, we'll well, what they're why, talking yeah. about is, is that the best comedy in that era and for several decades before that era had been British comedy. So, you know, Peter Cook, Dudley Moore, Python, you know, not the nine o'clock news, the young ones, all, all that great comedy, you know, which was the best in the world. And, and that, that continued on for about three decades and probably ended towards the end of the nineties. So, you know, and then obviously there was a lot of crap British comedy as well because they just made so much comedy in Britain in the, in those eras. But you sort of expected that all British comedy would be good. And then, of course, a bunch of it wasn't. And Birds of a Feather was in the sort of not good. And we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll also, also would, you, would you classify Birds of a Feather and also another lead-in uh, to the Lacho, which was Bread, would you classify those as dramedies? Well, yeah. yeah. That, that didn't exist as a concept at the time, you know, yeah. in, no one talked about dramedies. They, it, they were sitcoms. They were classified as sitcoms. Yeah. But yeah, when you when you look back on it, you realise there's a soap opera element to both of those programs. Yeah, it, yeah it's and kind of like serious yeah. issues. I mean, the fact that yeah. there's an actual bloke in prison. Yeah, you know, yeah. But yeah, there were only two shelves at the ABC shop. You know, drama and comedy, and they, yeah. <laughs> Birds of a Feather was on there. Yeah, but yeah. I actually it was on don't the comedy. Think... I don't think that the DGN are particularly reverent about British comedy. I actually think that this dig at British comedy is fairly like what they think. <laughs> yeah. They, are they, re- they like the good stuff, though. You know, they just don't talk about it. They they often make, well, because they're comedians and what we see them do is make jokes. They're making jokes about all the crap stuff. And yeah, there, there was an awful lot up. of crap stuff. <laughs> There was an awful lot of crap British comedy in the 60s and 70s in particular. Now, I'm just amazed. I had more about no later. idea. No, I, I had no idea that there were 128 episodes of something of this show. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it went on forever. And then they revived it about uh, five, ten years ago, didn't they? Well, lucky that I uh, I didn't get the follow-up of the big prize where I was trying to arrange the Birds of the Feather box set. So, yeah, <laughs> It'd be huge. It'd be oh. this massive suitcase of really crap comedy. <laughs> anyway, they, really they end like... this bit they, with a line yeah. that says, this show could do with a bit of comedy, which is absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you dirty cow. Yeah, we, we don't rate that asset, though, do we? No. Dirty cow. <laughs> That's fair. The funniest part of them sort of standing around in the green room talking about this show was they're all wearing ridiculous costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 The most outrageous thing from the costume department. Like, what's Rob wearing? He's wearing <laughs> like red mullet and a green like pixie waistcoat <laughs> after the opening titles we've got the opening remarks with tony and mick talking about uh dating the nameless green senators which i really looked so hard and deep for this one i couldn't really find anything unless someone else well, knows do, don't the green senators turn up in a late show sketch at yeah. some point because they, like... they were the yeah they were kind they of like cult figures at the time females in parliament and they were just sort of 
taken the piss out of. I don't know why, just because they weren't looking, you know, polished. They were just sort of normal women, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. All, 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 all I can remember from it is those green senators being mentioned in a Martin Malloy sketch for uh, the female premier. That's right. That's why I was yeah. ringing the bell. They also mentioned about Bronwyn Bishop moving uh, from the Senate to the House of Reps. Yasser Arafat uh, wants to be known as a man of peace because there's something in the air. October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, right. and, and if, if you don't believe us, have a listen to this. 31 days, 744 hours that will go down in rock history. The hottest music, the biggest stars. October 93 on Triple M, FM 105. <laughs> All right. 23 <laughs> FM. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, just a, a, a very uh, brief history of uh, Rocktober. It started in 1974 on radio stations 2SM, 2NX, 3XY and 6PM. The registered trademark for it kept changing hands. Um, in 1993, it was in the hands of MCM Networking, best known as the producers of uh, Take 40 Australia. Currently, it's a registered, a registered trademark of Southern Cross Stereo, the company that owns Triple M, which is kind of odd because for the last few, few years, Triple M has been doing Oztober. Maybe maybe they've saved it for um, uh, Tony Martin's little punchline on this uh, rock timber. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about the yeah, a joke about Monica Seller's uh, stabber. Oh, they just yeah. went overboard with the Monica Sepp. They're so, so mean yeah, they were, to it was, what it I was thought. Horribly yeah. mean, yeah. And Tony mentions that Hollywood movies are losing money because the producers are out of touch with what the public wants. And then he explains his date wanted to see a movie and describes the plot of Weekend at Bernie's 2. Never never seen it, happy to say. But, oh. but mind you, mind you, you don't, you don't have to the way that uh, Mick and Tony describe it all <laughs> about smashing a corpse's nads into a, a, a parking meter and stuff like that. I remember watching Weekend at Bernie's at, at the time and I remember enjoying it. I don't know how it would stand up today, whether it it would seem a bit tasteless and weird. Oh, anyway, <laughs> I guess I guess I need to um jump jump onto SBS on demand and check it out for myself. Yeah. <laughs> um and Filipino politician Imelda Marcos wants to get in the movies and Tony gives her the movie plot idea of basically the Manila Chiladilla but weekend at Fernies. So Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, these days, of course, um, Ferdinand Marcos's son is is now the president of the Philippines. He he got voted in a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, Space kind of like family. well, we've got we've got lots of green senators in the Australian Parliament now, and and we've got Ferdinand Marcos is back. Yeah, or his son yeah. is at least anyway. And then they're going on about soccer hooligans in Holland, and they're in the studio audience. It's an extra, I think, on the barge our olden days DVD where the big cage comes down and they get attacked, that's that little bit. There is no news desk at Tommy G this time. Yeah, and this is yeah. this is kind of their joke because, you know, Tommy G fans are going to riot because there's no news desk, <laughs> so they put down the, the soccer barrier, comes down, and, and the audience chucks Coke cans and stuff at the barrier, so... And who yeah, knew don't, don't know why there's doc- no news desk. And who knew that Dr. Aaron Bokeh was a Tommy G fan? <laughs> we get to see a little cameo from him uh, smashing a bottle against the, the mesh wire fence. They're all just cheering on Rocktober. 31 days, 744 hours. Yeah, anyway. Such hyperbole, 744 hours, Matt. (laughs) I love those promos where they just crunch numbers. Yeah. (laughs) Because what what really inspires people 
What really inspires people to listen to pop music or rock music in this case is a bunch of statistics. Isn't it? <laughs> Let's show them a graph. <laughs> Here's a pie chart explaining why you why you will listen to Rocktober. Twenty five to fifty four year olds, you're in with a chance. All right, and now we have a commercial. <laughs> Sorry, I should have. No, never mind. I was going to do my love song dedications on Mix One Hundred Six Point Five, and we are about to play. Rocktober. You know, you know, Matt. I, f- I feel like you've got a future in broadcasting. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's over now, isn't it? <laughs> Wow! Commercial time, and it's a news. Oh, this is one of my favourites because I quoted <laughs> this so much, and I'm sure everyone did as well. Oh, but, this was yeah, very yes. popular in the schoolyard, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it's the Pantene commercial piss take of Rachel Hunter, uh, and who was married uh, to Rod Stewart at the time. So that's why she really hit the, hit the headlines. Yeah, doing the Pantene commercials. Here's the original. Wishing for really healthy, shiny hair. Go out and get it with Pantene Treatment Shampoo. My hair was brittle and lifeless. Solution. Pantene Treatment Shampoo. For hair so healthy, it shines. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I know know everybody loves that tagline, but I really love the, go out and get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, she didn't treatment say shampoo. it quite like that. It was like, go on, get it, go on, and get it. She's not the world's greatest voiceover artist, Rachel Hunter. I think, I think that's established. <laughs> I actually really loved that there was a proper Kiwi accent on our tellies at the time. Yeah. Like I know I took the piss out of it, just like everyone else, but it was great. When it comes to New Zealanders, like uh, if once they start hitting the, the spotlight and all that, Australia likes to claim part of it until they fuck up. So it's, then they go, oh, no, that's New Zealand problem. I do feel this does have a bit of a Samaranch kind of feel to it because she doesn't say it so New Zealandy when you listen to it back. Well, I yeah. think it's not There's as bad as There's absolutely no A-bro in it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play the commercial again, but I'll stop it uh, so you won't hear the whole thing because Pantene now owes me money for playing a commercial. But here's the <laughs> part which I really like. So everyone quoted that end part, you know, it won't happen overnight, but it will happen. This bit. Go out and get it with Pantene treatment shampoo. Pantene mm. treatment shampoo. It, it goes <laughs> quite and, English. <laughs> and and that was the best take she did. Just bear that in mind. That was the best take she did. And she probably spent hours in that booth saying that over and over again. That's the best take. Her hair is so yeah. lifeless and brittle. So yeah, it's the, a but... weird mashup of an accent, though, isn't it? Because she's obviously been living in the UK with Rod for a while. Considering we still think of that line when I remember I see Pantene, I think yeah. I'm thinking of that. Yeah. Must, must have been a successful ad. It was of... marketing genius. It was yeah. like that Frank Walker from National Tile. Hello. Oh God, that's still that's still on uh, constantly. Hello, <laughs> Frank Walker from Hello. National Tile. It's Saturday and Sunday only. And I mean, we just we, we've also just. Come out of an election as well so like <laughs> like like that that hole in the budget jingle just came out loud and clear oh. out of the office radio for the past yeah was it, three We're four weeks oh. it's gonna be too traumatic for everyone <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but basically this this uh piss take of the pantene ad is basically yeah poking fun at new zealand accents in general and yeah i've got a feeling that tony martin may have had a hand in this considering uh Here's the mind behind Tum and Fowl. Yeah, well, here's uh, Jane being, uh, what's her name? Rachel. Rachel. It won't happen overnight, but it will happen. I mean, they might as well have made me say, available now at all fashion chop shops for $6.66. 
Rumtish. <laughs> I noticed on the YouTube uh, link, someone's commented about the final line saying, I was reminded of this when the Aussie dollar got stronger than the US dollar in 2011 because of the global financial crisis. <laughs> Such a random association to make. <laughs> Uh, thanks a lot, YouTube commenters. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And now, all right. There we go. Rocktober going. <laughs> all right. And we now we have uh, stage time with Tommy G hosting Late Light. Well, his equivalent of Late Line, discussing the Republican debate. So this is why the news desk wasn't happening. Um, but on Monitor 1, you had Malcolm Turnbull, Rob Sitch. Uh, monitor 2 was Dr. John Hewson, um, who was just happy to be there. Kerry and <laughs> Monitor Three was the movie Grease showing on Channel Seven. So there you go, Daniel, <laughs> as per the program guide. Yeah, just in case we all get a bit bored. Well, well, here's the thing. Here, I actually looked up uh, my uh, access for certain news archives, and in Canberra, they were actually playing James Bond instead. Uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mention it in the program guide, but yeah, it was James Bond movies on Channel Seven in Sydney. So, so disappointed that it wasn't Greece. Yeah, they were talking about the Republic debate. First to you, uh, Dr. Houston. I've got a bit of a confession. We don't actually want to talk to you. We just need you to fill up the monitors. So please stay there. Now to you, Malcolm Turnbull. <laughs> a Republic by the year two thousand. Are you serious? Oh, I wouldn't be pulling this face if I wasn't. <laughs> If I wasn't, if I wasn't serious, I would have pulled this face. <laughs> and look at that, two thousand, year two thousand, the Republic yeah. uh, vote came in and it didn't happen. I was really spun out by this, and I had to look it up. I thought, first of all, it's like Rob's impression is from another time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seemed like, wow, that's a prime minister to be. And I realised that he wasn't in the Liberal Party or he was, I don't know, I couldn't figure it out but anyway, he was appointed by Paul Keating to this Republican Advisory Committee so it's a bit of a spit out this this weird little (laughs) nugget of 1993 history with (laughs) this Prime Minister He was was just a lawyer at that stage wasn't he and he was the the head of um, the Republican movement and then yeah he got into politics I guess in the 2000s He created Aussie Mail as well Mm, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but I was going to say the Republic voting thing where we're going to choose in 2000, that was my f- first time, like, because I turned 18 in 1999. So that was the first time I actually had voted uh, for something federal because mm. the, the election right. for me was 2001. I didn't get the 1998 one because I was underage. So this Republican thing was, you know, sat really strong with me and went, hooray, I voted. And it didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, I just no. remember that night. It was just a, a tragedy because, I mean, the, the question was worded wrongly. People just didn't understand oh. what was being asked. They just thought that any old person would become prime minister, not realising. Anyway, we all of us know what, what happened. But I remember going out, that, yeah, that, <laughs> going out that evening and having... Yes, Republic written in lipstick on my forehead at some <laughs> club. <laughs> and all these idiots were going, oh, why are you voting yes? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't go our way, did it? And then I decided to go off to England for 10 years. And Alison, I think, similar, similar situation, and she's still there today. So. Yeah, it, it, it made total sense, didn't it? They just go to the motherland, like, <laughs> why do a spin off? And then you just experience Brexit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really wanted to go through Brexit 16 years later, <laughs> which was basic, Which was basically, I, I realised it's just, I had total flashbacks going through Brexit of the whole Republican thing. It was exactly the same thing yeah. with a shit result. 
I remember that referendum. It was like um, a Rumpelstiltskin contract. It was like, what the fuck? The syntax of that question was like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, I really think in, back to this sketch, one of the, the funny things is that it's almost, you almost miss it because it's very thrown away. But when he, when Rob as Malcolm Turnbull goes, I set fire to Windsor Castle, I suck for his toes. And then that bit where the punchline is and Tom goes, well, you just want to be um, president, don't you? And yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Music time. And Jane sets up Billy Joel doing River of Dreams, another way of putting it. At the end of my career. And technically, that is true. That was the end of his yeah. career. Yeah, what? Yeah, well, his last studio album was River of Dreams. So it was that album. And um, he went down the classical path after that. And every album that came out of his pop rockery was just compilations. But he's just come out with so much classical music. Oh. He's, he's, been the, he's been a composer since. So he's done, you know, constantly done tours and stuff like that, which I think he's retired now. But no, I think yeah. it, they're still advertising it. Like I remember on Jones in Amanda, they're trying to sell some some competition to go to New York to see him live oh, in really? concert. So I think he's still he's still playing. Yeah, but he's not coming up with new no, stuff no, no not no. new music. Yeah, yeah. He does have some ch- very small children at the moment like, that are like aged about six years old. Oh, <laughs> so oh. he's about seven in his seventies. This song will always be really hilarious to me because I remember when it came out. And, you know, Billy Joel had been cool and then this was like, he is no longer cool. This is a piece of shit. <laughs> it was like we didn't start the fire. was sort of we were just okay with that. That was like we were a little bit too young to really hate on it. We thought it was cool. But River of Dreams, oh, this is shit. Like this is, <laughs> this is not 104 music, whatever. And then I think because it's so insanely catchy, and we were just being dickheads or something. Like it took maybe four weeks and we were all singing it. After walking in the middle of the we were all singing along. Well, I've got to say that um, my mum loved the song and she couldn't buy the single, so she had to buy the entire album. And that was the only ah, yeah. Good so, strategy by Joel there. Yeah. Twenty seven ninety nine. She'll never get back. Uh, but it was a good likeness with Santo as well. Oh, he yeah. was so, so hot in this. Oh my god. Santo hot. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, some some of the moves he was making. It was reminding me of uh, him doing that la 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 la. Oh yes. Oh, oh, right. Right. Don't spoil but, it yeah, for proof. Behind the bar. <laughs> La 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 la. Yeah, Is from, that actual stubble? No, no, from Lou into Luigi. <laughs> yeah. yeah, from his yeah. archives, his uh, Super 8s. And it's muckraking time, and that's where this teaser has come in. Now, do you recognise those two themes? I recognise the first one um, basically because Tony Martin was, well, I don't know if you could say recommending it on Sisseltown, um, but that's the Daryl Summers show, which used Correct. to be on YouTube in its entirety. Has it been put up behind the Hey Hey paywall? Sadly, yes. <laughs> well, actually, good thing, yes. Well, but yeah, I, sad, yes. sad that I know. And, uh, yeah, the second um, 
theme there is tonight live, I think. Correct, it is. So most, mo- mostly with Steve Fizard, but with other people on Fridays from memory. Well, that episode, that snippet is actually from Tonight Live with Richard Stubbs, so he filled in on ah. Fridays. And uh, so this is all about muckraking live where they take the piss out of all those late-night variety live shows and um, they just want to do a bit something different because they claim they were carrying the late show for so long <laughs> and they filmed that pilot up in Sydney. From the ABC studios going live around Australia and to some parts of remote Finland, it's time for muckraking. With Philip Brady as the second banana. Good evening, ladies and germs. We've uh, just flown in from Sydney and, boy, are our arms tired. (laughs) (laughs) Jason, I understand you've just eaten. Yes, Mickey, I had lunch at the uh, canteen and Mm -hmm. uh, I've got to tell you, Mick, the food at the canteen, it's fit for a king. Hey, king. Hey, king. Hey, king. Oh, guys, that's a beauty, but have you heard this one about the young honeymooners who didn't know the difference between Vaseline and putty? Their windows fell out. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God. That laugh. Phil Brady is so great, this. Isn't he? It's the the part he was born to play. He's a a top-rate second banana. Yeah, it's, it's this is kind of like a sort of, you know, a, a checklist of, um, you know, a bunch of bits from GTV9 programs of various eras and, and a bit of sort of Tonight Live as well involved in this. You know, we, we've got the sort of song and dance sequence where they're all dressed up as Peter Allen uh, in Go to Rio kind of <laughs> outfits. They've got a wheel segment with, with Ding-A-Ling, um, yeah, who's Myrtle. played by Myrtle Woods. Lovely Myrtle. Um, and, and then they've got they've got a segment which is sort of taking the piss out of Pluck a Duck, and they've got Duck a Duck um, as well. Yeah, they didn't yeah. have Duck a Duck. Lenny Lamb. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Sorry, usually usually joined by Duck a Duck, but it's Lenny <laughs> Lamb, who's basically exactly the same as Pluck a Duck, just yeah. going around and a, a, a physically well, go, going around and humping everything by the looks of things, <laughs> and, yeah. and, putting, and putting Myrtle Woods in real danger. Yes, <laughs> in Myrtle danger. I love Myrtle. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, very good. I love Myrtle's line when they said, "How are you tonight? Not too good. Can I go home?" Dear <laughs> how are you tonight? Not too good, really. Can I go home? Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Okay. Yeah, you can win a lot of prizes tonight. What can you win on the wheel, Dingaling? Not much. <laughs> Take your medication. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, where, where they do the luxurious stay, uh, the mm. prize, at Mick and Jace's place, I worked out the street that was printed on the bin. The house hasn't changed much. So it's probably, it's got like a, a concrete wood type fence now on it. So um, I don't know if they were living there or not. We should have asked Jason. <laughs> so, oh, so, so, hang on. So, it's concrete, but it looks like wood finish. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, uh, yeah, Uncle Alberto has had his his design um, hands all over it. Yeah, but the, the house still stands and looks similar to how it does feature in the late show. So uh, they just okay. had a bit of an upgrade on the, the front, basically. Oh, that's good to hear, seeing as we're seeing things like the, the castle home being demolished and, and and Kath and Kim and everything. So good to know this one's still around. 
Now, also, in, in one of the excerpts, we've got Jason interviewing his mum. We, we should have asked him this uh, when we had the chance, uh, whether that's actually his mum or not. Uh, no, I, I think it's an actress. I don't know why I think that, because I don't recognise her completely, but I get a vibe. <laughs> All right, and we're on stage, and now this goes a little bit different. Um, so Judith does a bit of a stand-up routine on smoking in nightclubs. And and bounces outside strip joints being not that convincing. It's, a, it's very weirdly placed, I, and I think it might have just been to buy a bit of time as well. Yeah, but she admits that she's under the weather, just like Tommy G Ooh. was the week um, <laughs> the week before. Then explains why there's the grand piano on the stage, and this is where they bring the, out the ode to British comedy, and that is performed by Philip Page and Joe Vecina. Vesirka. Vesirka, there we go. Yeah, this was as weak as water. I didn't like this. <laughs> and I like water. It kind of like... No, no, I didn't like it. <laughs> You can make a lot of good points about, you know, the the worst sort of types of British comedy, like Benny Hill, are you being served, Septo and Son, carry-ons, that kind of thing, you know, being crap, you know, that's fine. But I don't think it makes it funnier to have an opera singer, a genuine opera singer singing about it, you know. I, I think there are probably other ways you could take the piss out of Mrs. Slocum's pussy. <laughs> no, especially when the opera singer is, like, constantly looking at the lines you know, like yeah, yeah. Sort of clocking. Yeah, the, 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 the phrasing of it is kind of weird, like he's only gone through it maybe half, maybe gone through half of it before the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. I weave for those last days of joy when TV was my favourite toy. Everything British made me laugh. Hello, Nick Nock. Yeah, not not getting much love from the audience either, really, apart from mm-hmm. he's so pussy. Also, I think there was a bit of a technical stuff up uh, in this bit because, like, you find very close to the end that there's a whole bunch of, you know, shots of Benny Hill and Are You Being Served and all that that are gone through very, very quickly near the end, which I've got the feeling was supposed to come up on the big screen as they were being sung about rather than rapidly at the end. Mm. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'd say technical problems. It's not a good sketch. Barge ass <laughs> regarding barge ass and Alison, <laughs> would you like to explain uh, what the this episode is based off? Well, uh, tonight's episode of barge ass is based on the novel Un Regard de Barge ass, which is a look from barge ass <laughs> by by Simone de Beauvoir, writer, philosopher, and feminist famous for writing The Second Sex. Now, Simone de Beauvoir was famously in an open relationship with the philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. But what about her relationship with Barjas? Well, I'm going to guess that there were a few Dutch ovens involved. (laughs) Back to you, Matt. Thank you. You're our author, book connoisseur or specialist. I am am your highbrow literature connection. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and also um, special guest, Senator Bronwyn Bishop, who's actually Val Jolay. Ah, yeah, yes, indeed, that's who it is. Yeah. Ah, 
but now with Barjas, he decides to get tips from the horse jockey where he gets his brown velour. And as a thank you for the tip off, he's offered to film the next scene. Yeah, that was funny. But yeah, you you would clutch your nuts too if um, yeah, <laughs> if you uh, had a camera from that angle. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, and they're basically trying to work out whether the brown velour is being stashed. And so Barjas and 20 head to the warehouse to find... Things. This is definitely it. There's enough brown velour here to last us well into the late 70s. And where are these so called smugglers, Sarge? Don't know. What's that? The music. Sounds pretty foreboding. What do you reckon it is, Sarge? Unless I'm mistaken, that's the crib I'm sailing down from an open skylight, too. Don't make a sound. <laughs> right, that'll flush about 20. Oh, did you say? was a consignment of brown velour or brown manure. <laughs> okay, mate. Hurry up, I'm suffocating. <sighs> oh, thank God, oxygen. <laughs> that whole scene, beautifully done. I think, I think, I think what's even better is the, the fight sequence that comes up after, <laughs> which is yeah. like it's it's just an excuse to play every sound effect under the sun out of sync. Out of sync, showing his bald spot and just using sound good. effects straight out of the Looney Tunes library or Hanna Barbera. <laughs> Due to Barjas's heroic backdoor blast, the game Pong is created in tribute. Hey, I'm on level seven. What do I do now? Three cubicles and one contains the pong. Look out. Oh, my eyes are watering. <laughs> I love Santo's delivery. Oh, my eyes are watering. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably just so random, like someone was just playing pong and they had a completely different conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've, I've got a feeling it might have been included because it might have been a fad of the day kind of thing mm. back yeah. in... Well, Talking to the youth. Early 70s, yeah. yeah. Well, they were starting to appear in, you know, pubs and, and you know, youth venues, weren't they, those machines? Fish and chip shops, mostly. <laughs> Fish and chip shops, yeah. Putting in the 20 cents and... While you wait for a shitload of dim sins. Yeah. <laughs> Donuts. <laughs> and now it's time for a sketch, and it appears to be a documentary on celebrity stalkers. So we actually... Uh, oh. Uh, we, we've got it. We've got a song calling in. Oh, Who's that? Let me just answer that. Hello. G'day, it's John Blackman from Telecom Mobile. Then, oh. yeah, who's that? Ah, oh, jeez, he's everywhere. Anyway, oh, we've got a. <laughs> Actually, we have an legit phone call. Hello, who's this? It's Ken James. Oh no way! Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> John Blackman. Are, are you the Ken James? I am well. I suppose I am the Ken James. Yes. If you Google, if you Google me, I am the Ken James. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that deserves a. More importantly, Ken, are you having fun in the kitchen? <laughs> I, I I was in front of the kitchen a long time ago. <laughs> And funnily enough, I still I still enjoy having fun in the kitchen. One of my favorite, one of my passions is cooking. Yes, as well as uh, your your passion as well is acting too. So uh, because well, you, you yeah. are you are the big star of the box, Prisoner, oh, Skippy, yeah. Skyways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the, the list is, is endless. I started my career when I was twelve. And I'll be celebrating my seventy fourth birthday this year. Congratulations! <laughs> I've had a long time in the in in the business. Yeah. So with this sketch, uh, because this whole thing is uh, based on celebrity stalkers, and uh, uh, your 
yeah. your prime time, Ken James, all over TV, especially in the mornings. <laughs> with, uh, especially, uh, was it uh, Good Morning Australia with Bert Newton? I worked for 10 years with Bert on Good Morning Australia as a celebrity chef. But I always said to Bert, I'm not a chef, I'm a bloke who likes to cook. <laughs> and so what was it actually like to work with Bert? Well, it was fun. I mean, it's quite by accident. One morning, about 6 a.m., I got a phone call from the studio, Channel 10, saying, oh, Ken, we're so sorry to ring you at a ridiculous hour, but are you available to come into the studio in the next hour or two to do a cooking segment? Because one of the guests missed their plane flying down from Sydney, so we've got a spot to fill, and we know you love cooking. Can you come in? And I said, what, now? And they said, yes, now. Get out of bed. So I I came into the studio... (laughs) And I and I did a, a quick pasta dish, which was you know very uh, uh, like one of those things you make up as you go. And uh, at the end of the segment, Leanne Mercer, who was then the producer of the show, tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Ken, uh, Ken Bert would like you to be a regular." So oh. I got a gig for ten years. I worked for the next ten years on that show. <laughs> <laughs> Right. right place, right time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, Bert and I, kicked, Bert and I worked really well together. We bounced off each other, and uh, I, I had look. I had the privilege of working with with Graham Kennedy doing a movie, and Graham was playing himself. And Graham would always say to me, "I don't care who gets the laugh, so long as we get the laugh. That's the important thing." And and Bert was the same way. So we would bounce off each other, and we worked on camera. We worked really well together. Well, speaking of laughs, uh, so you're part of this sketch with the Late Show, where it was all about yeah. um, you being the with Judith chef. Lucy. Yes. Um, now, yeah. how were you approached for this to be uh, to play yourself, well, really? Well, well, funnily enough, Judith, she said, I remember fondly, I love working with Judith. We sat down, and she said, Ken, I never realized how funny you are. And I said, well, I'm an actor. And that's what I get paid to do. And and well, when I worked, see, when I finished my, my basically my career as an actor, I started teaching. And one of the courses I taught was comedy. And the key to comedy is to play it for real. Don't play for the laughs. Play it as though whatever situation exists, where how absurd it may be or it may seem, play it for real. So you play it straight, and that's where the comedy comes. So when I worked with Judith, it was all about me uh, playing about the, um, the the noodles and the little alphabet soup. And they had this thing of, you know, can die, can die in, in soup. <laughs> I, uh, to be honest with you, I thought it was very funny, but I thought that the tag, if, you are, if I'm totally honest, was a bit, was a bit, bit weak, a bit lame. They could have had a better tag. But then again, I mean, I wasn't writing it. I was only performing it. The tag was that Ken James was stalking himself. Rather like flagellation, which I'm not into. <laughs> so, Did you have any better ideas? Well, they, they, see, they could have said, you know, Elizabeth Chong was, or Gabrielle Gattay was stalking me, but they may have sued them. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but they did feature Gabriel Cattay a couple of times in the Late Show. Are you, we, yeah, we, are you good friends with him? Oh, of course we are. We're very good mates. Yes, he, he was a lovely little bloke, bloke to work with. And and Bert used to say uh, things like, "Oh, your name's Gabriel Gate from Footscray." <laughs> yeah, you're putting on this French, you're putting on this French accent. But I mean, I, I I really enjoyed working with people like Gabrielle and Elizabeth uh, on the show, and Dorinda Hafner. Um, she's a gorgeous girl. One of the things about working in the industry, I've met so many wonderful people, and that's an area or an experience I'll never forget, that the the people I've actually worked with and and met over the years. But how did people know about your cooking prowess? Well, it's funny, years ago, Ernie Stigley, God rest his soul, um, I was doing a show called The Box, 
um, out at Channel 10 or Channel O in those days at Nunawadding. And Ernie was doing a little Tonight Show. And he said to me, hey, mate, hey, mate, hey, I know you do a bit of cooking, don't you? And I said, yeah, well, I do a bit of cooking, Ernie. I do enjoy it. Well, come on the show and do a bit with you, with me. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'm happy to do that. And once again, we clicked on camera. We had this chemistry. And I became a regular on the Ernie Sigley Show um, doing cooking. But whenever ever I go overseas, I go to France or I go to Indonesia or whatever country, I always do a cooking course. I, I try to uh, enjoy the culture of the country and I love finding out what the kind of cuisine they specialize in. So I do a course. And um, that's my, I think, see, to me, cooking's like acting because when you're acting, you're using all your senses. You should, you should as a good actor, you should use all your senses. And thus, with cooking, it's an expression of your art. <laughs> Am I making sense? Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I love – my dinner parties are fantastic. I've got to tell you, I, I have a lovely apartment here in, in Melbourne and uh, I have a, a seating for 12 and we have some fantastic dinner parties and I generally get a bit of a standing ovation. Well, speaking of dinner parties, did you ever – like we're big fans of Bernard King on this podcast, especially ah, when – Ah, the lovely Bernard. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, we're part of the Late Show segments, you know, when they had the toilet breaks and they showed clips from Potluck which happened yeah. to have Bernard and Ernie on it. Did you ever have a dinner party or have yes. <laughs> the opportunity with Bernard? Most certainly, most certainly. Um, when Bernard would come to Melbourne to visit from down from Queensland, um, he, he rang me and he said, I want to buy some really good spices. Where can I go to buy spices in Melbourne? I said, Bernard, I'll pick you up and I'll take you and we'll go down to Chinatown and we'll find some really good you know, Asian spices and whatever and he said I, I really want some lovely good good saffron real saffron so he was pleased with that and in the car he said to me oh he said i can't tell you i went to this this function i was out in this country town he said i went there and they put me in this room this hotel room he said i walked in the carpet was purple the, the <laughs> blinds were blue and the, the bedspread was orange it was like living in a bruise <laughs> <laughs> you definitely had a way with words. <laughs> and that was Bernard. We were, he was such fun. He was, God rest his soul. And, and but Frank Thring was wonderful. I mean, when I was doing the Skippy series, I was only 16 years old, and there was Frank Thring, this wonderful, I mean, he was a movie star, worked with people like Elizabeth Taylor and, and, and Kirk Douglas and Tony Curtis and wonderful people, and he would regale me with stories of being in Hollywood, and I'd just sit there with my jaw dropping about these amazing things he did and, and the wonderful times he had. It was I was very impressionable, and, and once again, and and once again, working with wonderful people and meeting incredible people is something you can never replace. Do you mind if I ask you one question about Skippy? Please, go ahead. It was part of my life for four and a half years. <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> this is a loose segue. So uh, because while that the parody of Skippy was featured on Fast Forward, but... Yeah, many times. But ma mainly Michael Veach, part of the original DJ. Oh, playing Sonny, yes. He was very clever. Michael's a very clever actor. What did you think of those parodies? Oh, funny. It's hilarious. I mean, look, you, you, with comedy, you've got to take it as it is. I mean, it's what it, if it makes people laugh, you know? I mean, I said this afternoon, I, I watched uh, Gervais, Ricky Gervais is, uh, on Netflix. He was hysterical. Oh. And nothing was sacred. Nothing was sacred. Everything was like, he dropped the, every bomb you can imagine. Um, and he, nothing was like um, taboo. And it was funny because he kept saying, you know, I don't want to split the audience up here. He was talking to a live audience in London and he was saying I don't want to split the audience here but he was giving his 
take on comedy. He was a, he's a genius. What other comedies have you been part of? Like, obviously, you've done theatre and... Well, uh... The Box was fun. The Box was fun because see, the, uh, what happened was I was living in Sydney and they were trying to cast this character called Tony Wilde, who was the star of a TV series called Manhunt because The Box was about a television channel, UCV Channel 12. Now, originally, Hector Crawford the doyen of Australian television, didn't want to do a show like The Box because his, his people around him said, Hector, there's a show called Number 96 that's making so much money, we have to follow suit. He said, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't do those kind of shows. I, um, I do shows like you know, Matt Locke and Division 4 and Homicide. No, they're the kind of clean cut, the Sullivan's, they're the kind of shows I do. Hector, The Box will make a lot of money. So they finally talked him around to doing it. But they were having trouble casting this character called Tony Wilde because Tony Wilde was, um, as the writers saw him, an egocentric actor. That's how writers see actors. <laughs> egocentric wankers. So they, were trying, they, were, they couldn't cast this guy. So they flew about six of us down from Sydney on, on the same plane, with, in the same area of the seating, reading the same script. I looked over yeah. and saw this other actor who looked very much like me, and I said, "You came for the same role." So we arrived on mass at, at, at the Crawford Productions and went through our paces. And as it turned out, um, I was offered the role of Tony Wilde. Now, it was an actor, Ken James, playing an actor, Tony Wilde, playing Detective Senior Sergeant Blake in the in the TV series Manhunt. So it was an actor playing an actor playing an actor. It was a very hard role. So that was comedy and it was tough. It was a tough gig. What are you up to right now? Work-wise? Yeah, work-wise and stuff. Well, not a lot. I look, I, can I say, you, you probably only know half of my life. I mean, there's so many things that I've done apart from television. I'll give you a little example. For 20 years, I worked for the Victoria Police as an unsworn member with a group called DTS, Detective Training School. I lectured at DTS. I lectured in wow. communication skills. Yeah, no, no one knows that. I did a pro bono. I wasn't paid. I mean, I got a wall full of plaques and thank yous from the Victoria Police, but I was an unsworn member for 20 years doing motivation uh, lectures and communication skills. That is cool. That's great. Wow. <laughs> well, Ken James, we salute you. So, Oh, thank you. Yeah. After, after all of that, uh, yeah. the sketch on the late show, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to, to quickly ask, uh, like... Uh, was any of the sketch uh, improvised, or was it just? Oh no, it was all it was all scripted. It was it was all scripted, absolutely scripted. But like I was saying, I thought when I saw it back, I thought they could have had a, a stronger tag, because it's not where you start; it's where you finish. And and I I thought the they thought that the script was well written, it was well conceived, but I just thought the tag was a bit weak when they said no, it worked out that Ken James was stalking himself, and it was like uh, bob on. Mm. Um, but once again, uh, the, the earlier the comment earlier. What what would, would have been a better tag? I don't know. I didn't write it, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I simply ask because I, I do like that sort of uh, uh, penultimate part, I suppose uh, you could call it, uh, where you're asked what, what you would say to the, the stalker, which is, uh, um, yeah, to tell them uh, what a sad, pathetic person and they are and no matter how much anguish and pain they're putting you through, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, they're them and you're you. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, I didn't write it. I just played it. You know, I played the I played the words. As as as, as someone said, what's my motivation um, for this scene? Your paycheck on Monday, and <laughs> and and also just say the words and don't fall over the furniture. 
<laughs> oh, I was just going to ask, Ken, do you still send yourself cheese in the mail? <laughs> do I send No, no, never have. Never have. <laughs> oh, when was the last time you cooked with Maggie noodles? <laughs> you know what? It's been quite some time. <laughs> Although I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying they're not, they're not a good product. You know, people like a lot of university students. They said to me, "I lived my life on noodles because I couldn't afford anything else." And good luck to them. Good luck to them. Oh, just going to ask: Are you on online anywhere on on the socials, or is there any way? No, that you know what? I don't. On in touch I don't. I, I don't do. I don't do social media. I don't do Facebook or any of that stuff. Uh, I, I'm. Uh, I'm a bit of a. a uh, well, what do I say? I'm not really IT literate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got a. I've got. I, all my emails come through on my phone, and I can do that, and I can send texts. I'm clever at that. But I'm not a Facebook or a Twitter or a, or a TikTok or a, a social media. That was never in my era. I was born in 1948. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> Ken James, thank you so much for calling into the Champagne Comedy Podcast. And you're more than welcome to delete the phone number afterwards now. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. And now we're back to the stage and we have Street Talk with Reverend Tony Martin. That's that's obviously an East Street reference, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Basically, he interviews the Christian heavy metal band, the New Samaritans. This is kind of like a follow-up from last week when we had the, the song, the annotated song, isn't it? And this is more like a, a real-life version. We see who these people are for real and how bad their fashion sense is. Yeah, oh, and so many dodgy wigs in this sketch as well. I was in a pub the other day. Yeah. Hang on, you were in a pub? Wait on, Rev, don't get heavy with me. <laughs> I'll leave my message of moderation to later. Sure. But I said to them, I said, hey, guys, you got a happy hour? How about a holy hour? Right on, right on. People at the pub, how did they react to that? Quietly. Right on. Right on. Or woo. So they were either cheering or going right on. But they loved it. Rob and Jane... Santo and Tom just loved doing the sketch. Feels like well, there were a lot of like Christian off. groups, I, I guess, like in the seventies, eighties, early nineties, or whatever, who were you know trying to kind of reach out to the kids because people were moving away from being interested in religion, and so they kind of they kind of got into rock music, you know, and they they sort of adopted things from the hippie movement and that, and and this is quite a good piss take of that because you know certainly as a teenager at the time, various kind of people different groups would come into our school and try and convert us to christianity or whatever mm. you know evangelize and they they would they would try and reach out to the youth you know by playing having a guitar or whatever and you know mm. nah, go away <laughs> and, and bringing lots of chocolate i remember yes <laughs> bribe you to be christians <laughs> that doesn't sound right a whole bunch of people going to a school uh, giving, giving kids chocolate. Are you listening to yourself, Fruit? Yeah. <laughs> they were talking about um, their fifth member, Slash, who was the devil, but he didn't really make it in. He wasn't really fitting into the band, was he? Well, they speak to him, but he speaks backwards to them <laughs> in the sketch, which is a nice little gag. But they did mention their musical influences, Amy Grant, Franciscus Henry, and Madonna. Oh, no, yeah. That was a boomtish, yeah. And uh, but they did mention their national tour. Your national tour. You've oh. just got oh. back from a how long ago? Oh, uh, totally wild. Yeah. Twenty-one days, twenty-seven parishes. Right. Thank you, <laughs> Southern. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Australia. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> 
I love that. She knows she's dropping a really daggy joke. Yeah. <laughs> 21 days, 27 parishes. All right. Um, and they did have issues with the noise because they were asked to turn it down and <laughs> the pyrotechnics and all the incense. <laughs> yeah. I like the way it's it's um it's quite interesting how it starts off as like this is going to be a pretty general kind of Christian youth group piss take, but then it, they say a few really um, specific Catholic things that you realise <laughs> what the fuck no one no one knows what you're on about unless you've actually had to go to mass. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like that bit where Tom goes, "Yeah, I left home as a kid once. It was only for an hour to go to mass." <laughs> and they did play a song from their album, Seeky Breaky Heart. Jesus! Yeah! He's a really hip dude. He's a dude. What a dude. You're a dude. Jesus! Yeah! Don't say words that are rude. Nothing rude. Never crude. Oh, 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 Jesus is the answer. Got no time for hating. So get <laughs> What, is it more praying here? Yeah. Oh, no, we're waiting for the applause. <laughs> it's such a shame that Jane never put out her own album. <laughs> There's still time, Jane. There yeah, is. Still yep. time. If you can play That's Uke probably. with uh, the Fooies, then, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget there was that uh, Dorothy the Dinosaur. Oh, yes. That <laughs> <laughs> was really good. And, yeah, yeah. we've got to, well, yeah, considering that uh, Christian Rock, it's the perfect segue into the next segment. Yes, which is <laughs> Toilet Break, Act 5, Gary Bond and his original composition. Oh, take, dear. Oh, God. Take me away. City life It's a crazy scene So crazy scene And I wish the traffic lights had all turned green <laughs> Just me and you <laughs> The part that I should have used uh, was the part where at the very beginning he starts singing and there's a bit of feedback. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. Everything kind of goes wrong with this. I mean, it's a, it's a dreadful song. The guitar's out of tune. He can't sing. He looks like yeah. Nudge from Hey Dad and he's dressed like Super Mario. Yeah. I mean, you know. It's very basic <laughs> lyrics as well. As, yeah, as, 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 you, as you can tell from rhyming, a crazy scene with, you know, traffic lights turning green. He looks like more or less a teenage uh, or the older brother of Doogie Howser. Yeah, I've written down yeah. Super Mario and Doogie Howser combo. <laughs> so, see, see I, went with Nudge, I went with Nudge and Hey Dad. For, uh, yeah, but Nudge Mario. can play. He can sing. He's a musician. So, <laughs> Well, yeah. as we may discover later on. Well, yes. oh, I was going to say Nudge Farmhouse. I've got the album. So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the ten people in Australia that have got the album of Farmhouse. Yeah, and the rest are the, are all all in salvos. Yeah. Well, at least they were in the nineties. <laughs> but I saw him when oh, I was in Darwin in like nineteen ninety eight for New Year's, and he was like the entertainment for the um like New Year's. <laughs> <Eve>. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> uh, Top night. Top night. Darwin. 
I will say though, uh, Gary Bond, uh, that clip was also recycled for a Triple M commercial further on down in the early 2000s because when I saw it on TV, I think it might have been just being broadcast in Sydney at the time. And um, yeah, when I saw that, I went, hold on, that's a toilet break. I recognize that. And it was just simply <laughs> that. City life. Crazy scene. Basically, the whole thing, obviously without the laughter because that's from the late show, and then it just popped up right at the end. We play real music, you know, or real rock at <laughs> Triple M at the end. That's it. So, yeah, that's as as evidenced by Rocktober. Yeah, oh, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, don't don't play. All it, right, play yeah, it. good. I love you know how sometimes you interview these acts and they'll say, "Yeah, yeah, we had to do an audition." But that always blows my mind because yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. people yeah. made the cut. <laughs> who, who, did, who didn't make it? Yeah. <laughs> but I think the actual real coup of an of an interview to get would be the person who's doing those auditions. Like they yeah. must have just been rubbing their hands with glee, going, "Yeah, mate, you're fantastic. Yeah. We'll get you on. You're going to be great." <laughs> well, it's like. Those X Factor type shows, they always they always try and get someone through it. that's a little bit. Mm. And if you yeah, YouTube a few other potluck clips which aren't shown on Toilet Break, you, there's some of them which are even worse. So, <laughs> no way. Yeah, oh you, might, yeah have, you have to clear your cache afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, our good friend Bernard, what did he have to say with Gary? Gary wrote a lyric that's almost prophetic. I wish they would take me away. Indeed, I agree. <laughs> oh, short, sweet. <laughs> his, his timing was really excellent. Indeed, yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's so succinct. And where does that place him in the leaderboard? Um, okay, so, yeah, my my VHS copy was a, a bit dodgy. Did, uh, said did Bernard say 10 points? 10, yeah. He did. Okay, so that puts him equal 14th, uh, which is sort of, well, yeah. Uh, it's on an equal footing with uh, Razia and uh, Chris Cruel, who uh, bravely battled her way through You Keep Me Hanging On. Um, so, yeah, equal 14th with those two. Um, and the only person that's worse is uh, Raymond Shield, who did There Is A Balm In Gilead. Uh, and got five points for it. Rehearsal, rehearsal, rehearsal. <laughs> We're on stage now and it's late mail time and a viewer had sent in a photo of Barjas because after Barjas was featured on the late show, he knew where he lived. So, yeah, good on Mr. Yeah, Stalker. and he was in um, Cogra, the other famous person from Cogra obviously being Clive James. And I think that uh, <laughs> Barjas here was a bit overshadowed by uh, the, the famous kid from Cogra, but... Uh, yeah, completely different area now, Cogra. It's all high-rises, so it's good to see a little bit of that history preserved in that photograph of a kind of single-level suburban houses because <laughs> it's nothing like that today. And don't forget William Shakespeare as well, but that's under different circumstances. Oh, that's right, yes. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's very. I don't know why all these people... <laughs> Cogra just attracts them all. Tommy G and Rob had a photo with Mr Squiggle as well, so they just wanted to put that in. But also, after Tommy does plug our Volume 2 of The Late Show VHS, uh, this... I think this is the first plug, isn't it, for Volume 2? Yeah, I think so. Mm. This happens. I did get a real letter from uh, Tom Stilly. It's your wig, Tom. Who, wig. It's my wig's off. Who writes that... Um, Tommy <laughs> doing his John Malkovich impersonation <laughs> in the line of bias. <laughs> Tom 
from Stilly, I was uh, mentioning earlier in the evening, writes that having tried our, uh, our normal ABC number to uh, get tickets to the late show and, and failing to get through. So I just love how they completely lost yeah. it. Because like, yeah, they've such a they, trooper. <laughs> yeah, they've, they've all kept the wigs on from the street talk sketch. But the the fact that when Mick has made a movie reference uh, in the line of fire with, with uh, John Malkovich, actually I looked it up and it's a dead set ringer. So <laughs> that's, that's what makes them up so much. <laughs> yeah. but Tommy, you know, powers through, and he always is trying to do the whole call up uh, the switchboard, try and get tickets for the late show, and this happens. Ringing about getting tickets to the late show. Thank you. Good day, it's John Blackman. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Blackman number eleven. That was just so true. So <laughs> true. I do, I, I, I do, I do quite like the the, the routine of uh, Tom uh, yeah, calling up to to get tickets and being put, uh, you know, from one department to another to uh, publicity who doesn't know what the Late Show is to Late Line <laughs> to TV comedy. Who seems to be? It's a very sleepy TV comedy department. So they're really, yeah. it's they're really sticking the boot into the hand that feeds them, and I love it. Well, the, it, it's sort of he, he's passed around by all these departments, as you say. But the people he speaks to, they're sort of increasingly bored, aren't they? To the point where they're almost catatonic at the end. <laughs> then, 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 then you get Blackmaned. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that sort of nineties transfer sound. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, but Jace has found an op shop item, which is a retro hairdryer, the Max Hatter, and Jane wears it and starts smoking up. So, yeah, that's more visual than anything. But, uh, yeah, uh, Jane Jane mentions to the audience right at the start of the, the late mail segment that she's got earplugs in and, um, yeah, doesn't quite know why. And basically, yeah, a, a big bit of firework... Um, uh, a Dr. Bocare specialty comes out of the Max Hatter. That's why she needed the earplugs. Ear yeah, she probably would have needed a face mask because um, in 1979, the uh, US Consumer Product Safety Commission um, announced that a number of companies, including um, Gillette, the manufacturer of the Max Hatter, recalled their products because they ob- contain asbestos. Um, <laughs> this actually affected a lot of hair dryers and hair type products back in the 70s so i'm sure i mean it would have been a very negligible amount used in that but it's it's an interesting cautionary tale for anyone who wants to buy vintage hair dry from the 70s wow. <laughs> oh gosh i think i, I think i think the, the bit i really like about this is um i'm not quite sure who, who it was that that remark that uh, jane looks like mick from shit scared yeah that yeah. was the thing that <laughs> saved it because didn't it just fall on its ass? Like, this party popper goes off on her head. <laughs> the whole thing has been given away by the fact she's mucked about with the earplugs. <laughs> then yeah. someone says, you look like Mick from Shitskin. And she does this really cute impression of Mick. <laughs> the thumbs up, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Mick and Judith talk about how they did basically Vox Pops, but at the Elvis Impersonator Festival that was going on which was actually featured on Hey Hey a couple of weeks ago. So it was like a delayed... Oh, that's the it, same one, is it? Yeah. Because yeah, this, uh, this, this took place at Melbourne Central. I think you find that it was called Daimaru. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Daimaru was there, as was the, the shot tower. Yeah. 
I just love saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a snippet from it anyway. Now, what, what I like is that you're prepared for a big sweat tonight, aren't you? You've got your towel on there. And what are you singing? Burning Love. Anyway. Oh, a lovely number. And, and can I just ask you, yeah, did, has, has your Elvis impressions improved since you bought the Bedazzler? <laughs> <laughs> Do we reckon that the Baz Luhrmann movie is going to be better or worse than uh, the impersonation contest we just saw? Uh, <laughs> all right, commercial time, and it's just basically, it's this is like just a simple sketch that you'd see in fast forward slash full frontage. Yeah. I'll say for your tyres, yeah. It was not much to it. Car swerves to miss a kangaroo, a skateboarder, but aims for the little fat kid from Hey Dad. But um, Tish. Yeah. The joke so, being yeah. Yeah. healthy for your tyres. Yeah. A sort yeah. of parody <laughs> of an, an ad about car safety. It does feel a little bit like they've run out of the gold, you know. They're at the end of... Mm, yeah, yeah, there is a fair yeah. bit of flop material and filling material in, in tonight's episode, isn't it? They're getting tired, yeah. Now it's time for Graham and the Colonel. I don't have any clips for this because this was pretty much a straight sharpshooting type thing. and Very, very quick run through. And, yeah, they're, they're wearing the black armbands and Thermos bands for um, uh, Andy Stewart's passing. Wearing kilts. So, yep, yep uh, World Cup soccer, Maradona named in the Argentinian squad to play in Australia and customs will stop him from coming in. So a lot, lot of Budum tissues in this one. Oh, um, gosh. World Series Baseball, the Phillies versus Blue Jays um, is about to happen. And just FYI, because I do follow baseball, uh, Blue Jays did win, uh, defeating uh, the Phillies four games to two because World Series are usually played in series of seven. Um, but whoever gets more, I'll shut up. Uh, the tradition <laughs> of throwing the first pitch off by a celebrity amateur, and they <laughs> i got to admit, this is pretty funny because the first pitch is someone who... It's not associated with baseball or anything like that. Could be a big name, could be someone basic. And they did suggest um, they should do it in cricket uh, and use Greg Matthews. Around the world yacht race, Graham and the Colonel were kicked out after a technicality. Uh, they were using a foot pedal boat, so that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah. especially considering that uh, um, uh, Santo realizes very immediately, oh, we had the kilts on. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> then Rob says, Rob's... you can freeze frame it and it'll be kind of basic instinct style. And silly me, fast, <laughs> just around it, paused it and realised they were wearing jeans under their kilts. So <laughs> I did not see anything. <laughs> Again, Monica sells stabbing trial and they do base a video game off it. So they milk that joke for one more time. Not funny. But, uh, but another, so another bit of video game animation from uh, Doug Bain. Uh, his third outing looked very Atari twenty six hundred style. <laughs> um, you'll know that if you appreciate that stuff. Um, and congrats to Freya, winner of the Col- Caulfield Cup. Uh, Graham and the Colonel earned more money off the Duffelcoat Supreme when they rented out the cosmetics companies. Um, sympathies to the Murray River area floodings. Um, they lost their caravan because they bagged it around with bean bags instead of sandbags. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Republican issue. Uh, Turnbull is only promoting it as he wants to be the first president and Wendy Turnbull will be the first lady. And yeah, they make a remark about what Wendy looks like. Well, she she became the mayor of Sydney, didn't she, at some point? Oh, yeah. yeah. Wendy Turnbull? Well. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's famous for kind of big glasses. Yeah. Isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I believe so, yeah. Well, sort of partly famous for that. <laughs> Ma- mainly famous for being mayor of Sydney, I imagine. And yeah, for, for 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 being the love interest of Graham and the Colonel. 
Yes. <laughs> All right, and we're on stage and Tony promotes the devil at your heels and Mick explains that it's inspiration for shit scared. So there you are. And, uh, yeah, one, once again, uh, it's available for free legally and in full on YouTube uh, from the uh, National Film Board of Canada channel, The Devil at Your Heels. Go and look at it. It's really something. And closing the musical finale, and it is Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Oh, wait. No, it's not. It is Grasby, Grills, Nudge and Plum. What a good combo. <laughs> Absolutely. Singing Teach Your Children Well. sound great mm. yeah it actually kind of works i love yeah. it i mean it's a bit weird seeing lucky girls sitting on a stool <laughs> the audience <laughs> certainly especially especially with the, the, high, the high waistband and- oh my yes. god <laughs> the audience really enjoy that bit don't they and if you look uh, carefully at lucky playing that he's basically playing it up to the neck of the, the guitar <laughs> so nowhere near the actual uh, middle part yeah because his gut just, gets in I the way it works because yeah. they're they're all actors, you know. Yeah. None of these people are just like politicians, sports stars. Well, no, Gra- Grasby was a politician, wasn't he? Oh, was he? Yeah, Al, yeah. His, yeah. Him and his famous ties. Yeah, Al Grasby. Anyway, he he Al Grasby was always a bit of a character, wasn't he? So obviously yeah. a bit of acting talent underneath. I will say though that uh, while Nudge, which is Chris Trustwell from you know that <laughs> yeah that, 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 show. that show yeah. So he is a musician and, yeah, what can I say? <laughs> Before that, he was in the Farmhouse Band, which is basically made of Channel 7 personalities from 1990, 1991. Honestly, YouTube and enjoy the covers. <laughs> was that Georgie are. Parker in that as well? Yeah, Georgie Parker, yeah. <laughs> Emily Simons and, um, well, Georgie Parker saying these boots are made for walking. Yeah. And also Gillian McGregor is in it too and Michael Horrocks as well from Cartoon Connection slash oh, video yeah. smash hits. So, <laughs> in fact, Chris Truswell, what did he sing here? Uh, he sings Under a Stormy Sky. But, uh, yeah, this like this uh, thing ends on a great note with uh, Gwen Plum thinking to take it finished and then saying, I'm back at that first lot. Back at that first lot. But after the closing finale, you had the credits. Daniel, was there any little Easter eggs? Uh, well, uh, quite a long list of special guests. We had Philip Brady, Al Brasby, Lucky Grills, Ken James, Gwen Plum, Christopher Truswell, and Myrtle Woods, with Colin Batruni, Cecil Exum, uh, Fiona Harris, uh, Randall Killip, Christopher Kirby. I think this is the third time for Christopher Kirby. We've, uh, we've seen him in this series. Andre Moses, George Novak, uh, Philip Page, and Joe Fasirka. Uh, computer animation by Doug Bain. Uh, and thanks to ABC News, John Diedrich, uh, the State Film Center. Um, I've got a feeling that might have been for um, uh, Devil at Your Heels, perhaps. Uh, and the estate of the late Gerda Nicholson. All right. And the solicit was Joe, again, singing the new phone number. So, ooh, they yeah. changed the phone number. Yeah, new new phone number, obviously, because nobody was able to get through on the uh, on the old one, as, <laughs> as Tom showed out. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Other than that, um, that pretty much wraps up episode 38 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast as well as season two, episode 18 of The Late Show. So other than that, um, please email us, champagnelateshow at gmail.com, Twitter at TLSChampagne, and visit the website, champagnecomedy.com, Facebook Late Show page, uh, as well as search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. Enter, answer the three questions and you're in. Thanks to Ken James. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. Really yeah. appreciate it. And, um, yeah, thanks for not reversing the charges. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, yeah, I just want to say uh, thank you very much for joining Alison, Daniel, Kim and Prue for coming on again and putting up with everything. Bye. Cool. Bye. My name's Matt. I'll catch you next time. Bye. See you later. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.